Welcome to the Arise Church podcast, where we exist so that way you can experience God. If you like this content, would you consider subscribing and joining our online community? That way you can get notified on each week's messages. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. So in closing this series, if you're taking notes, my sermon name is Faith Verse flesh. Well, let's pray and let's dive into it this morning. Well, dear God, we come to you and we thank you, dear Jesus. I pray that you can work in our hearts, that you can speak to us, that you can lead us, that you can guide us. Dear Jesus, I pray that today that we can leave living different, dear God. You can speak to us in the areas that we need to grow, dear God, that we need to change, dear Jesus. And lastly, I pray that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will defeat the Browns in your holy name. Everybody said... Amen. So do we have any dog people in here? Come on, loud and proud if you're a dog person. There we go. Listen, notice I didn't say cats because cats are of the devil. And I'm sorry. It's just true. Kidding. Kind of. But I'll, I'll never forget when my family, when we got our first dog that I remember, and its name was Reese. Erica, you remember this. And, and we called him Reese because he was like, had like this little like black and like brown spot over his eye. And he looked like a little Reese's cup. Come on, who doesn't like those? Like, Reese, that's my dog. And I remember he was just, a, he was a little Jack Russell, and he was full of energy, and he'd run around the backyard, I'm full of energy, and I ran around the backyard like crazy, so he was like my best friend. We would jump on the trampoline together. We had all these memories, like, oh man, the neighbors probably hated us, but we had a blast and we had so much fun. Even though Reese, excuse me, was part of the family and we loved him, I would be disingenuous if I said that he did not have a character flaw. Now, <laughs> I don't know how to really put this, but Reese, it didn't matter if you were a friend, it didn't matter if you were a foe, it didn't matter if you were tall, big, worker, someone we knew or not knew, if you smell good, not smell good. If you had a leg and you were not paying attention, Reese would have his way with your leg. And I can remember, like, you know, he would, like, sneak up. He was like a ninja, too. He'd be like, what is that? Oh, God, you know, like, get out of here. Um, but then in our neighborhood, we grew up in a small town in Mulberry, but then some other people moved in, and Reese lost interest in the leg because he realized that some female dogs have moved just a couple houses down. So Reese became an escape artist. Okay, I'm just saying, like, we had opened the gate for a quick second, and this man just, like, gone. I mean, he would dig under the fence. He would be everywhere. We'd get calls from the neighbor. We'd be driving home from church. My dad's like, is that Reese? Get, get in the car, you know? Like, he was always escaping, always getting out. So my dad's like, you know what we got to do? We got to up the ante here. We need to strengthen the integrity of our fence. You know, so he's got us out there. We got all this dirt. We're just pouring it everywhere. We got cinder blocks in the places that he digs. Then we got an electrical fence. Come on, somebody. Reese's not getting out anymore. So we were out there digging and, and putting the electrical fence on the inside of the fence. And we're like, all right, we got him now. Now, it's meaningful to mention that we put the fence there and the electrical fence because we loved Reese. 
It wasn't because we didn't like him. We didn't want him to have a great life. We loved him so much that we laid a parameter for him to where he would experience the best life possible, where he had joy, where he had a family, where he had shelter, where he had food. And those were the parameters that we set for him. And we said, go and live. But Reese had other ideas because here's what he learned. He learned that the electric fence only hurt for a moment. <laughs> Yo, listen, don't make me laugh, but this is exactly what you do. Like, we'd open the fence, and you'd see him, like, he got this crazy look in his eyes. He'd, like, run, and then you just take off. <laughs> Gone. And you'd be, like, digging under the fence. The wire's right there. And he'd be gone every time. And you realize that it only hurt for a moment, and we tried, and we hoped that he would stay inside these parameters because we knew that if he got out, it was only a matter of time before he got hurt. And I'll never forget the day my mom picked up Erica and I from Purcell Elementary in Mulberry, and uh, we're, like, driving home, and she's like, what do you want from McDonald's? And, like, got my chicken nuggets, and I was on my way home. Now I realize it's kind of messed up because she got us comfort food. And you understand why right here, because we're driving home, and she's just like, well, honey, I'm sorry to tell both of you that Reese got out today, and he was hit by a car, and he is no longer with us. And I'm like, well, I'm eating my chicken nuggets, Bob, like seriously? But I remember that I was upset. I got home, and I just cried, and Erica cried, and we were just an emotional wreck. And here's what we see is that we put the parameter for Reese, but Reese being led by his flesh and his desires left it, and it cost him dearly. And this is actually a tension point that you and I are in. Because as followers of Jesus, God has given us his word, and he has given us parameters for us to live. Not to hold us back, but for us to experience the best life possible. And we as believers or followers of Jesus, we can step into that and say, God, I trust that your way is the best way. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. But I'm going to follow your parameters. Or on the flip side, we can be like Reese and say, you know what? My way is better. These parameters are holding me back. I want to experience freedom. And we are in this battle of spirit versus flesh, flesh, and in this tension point that we are in, in Galatians 5.17 actually points directly to this, and it says this, it says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. Contrary just means opposite, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in, here's this word, conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. It's meaningful to mention that the spirit and the flesh, they're not on the same team. They're not. That your flesh has desires and ways that it wants to go about and for you to live your life where the Spirit wants you to submit and follow God. And, and Paul in Romans seven fifteen, he even makes mentions of this. He says this. He says, I do not understand what I do. Anyone else? For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I mean, and this is Paul, the man who wrote over half of the New Testament, a mighty man of God, yet he is transparent and vulnerable enough to share that he goes through this tension point in battle as well. And it's the same battle that we find ourselves in today. And we must understand that in our life that we can feed the flesh or we can feed 
the spirit. We can feed the flesh, we can feed the spirit, but whatever you cultivate in your life will grow. Whatever you cultivate in your life will grow. Well, what is cultivation? Well, cultivation is the act of growing something or improving its growth. It's often used in farming terms. You know, in my previous life, I was a farmer. No, I'm just kidding. But it's often used in farmer terms, and we see that, you know, as, as the farmer's getting ready for the harvest, what he does is he prepares the field. He gets the soil correct. He goes and he gets the crop, the seed that he wants to harvest, and then he goes back and he plants the seed. And from that point on, it is his responsibility to cultivate the crop that he wants to grow. So for example, you know, if weeds begin to grow and interfere with, with, the, with the growth of his crop, it's his job to deal with it. If an animal is coming and destroying the crop and uprooting it, it's his job to build a fence or to catch it, or to trap it, or to get the animal out of there. If, if the crop is not growing, and, and it's not getting the proper amount of water because of rain, it's his job to get out there and to water it, to see it from the point that he put it in the ground until the harvest. And here's the question for us. What are you cultivating in your life? What am I cultivating in my life? Are we feeding the flesh or are we feeding the spirit? And here's the big idea for today, that cultivation leads to transformation. The choice of what you cultivate, though, is yours. That cultivation leads to transformation. In other words, what you cultivate in your life is what you are going to become. What you feed in your life is going to grow and what you starve is going to die. What you feed will grow. What are you cultivating? And maybe you're in here and you're brand new to church and you're just figuring out, like, how do I follow God? Like, what does it look like? I just downloaded the YouVersion Bible app and I'm, I'm beginning to take these steps of faith. Or maybe you've been in the church for a long time serving Jesus longer than I've been alive, but you haven't done an inventory of your life to look to see if you are being led by the flesh or the spirit, and you're asking yourself, how do I know if I am cultivating the flesh or the spirit? And that's a great question, actually. And it's one that we should ask ourselves often as we examine our lives. And Galatians 5 gives us a beautiful roadmap. It does. We see that in Galatians 5.19, it says this. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. A.K.A. when we are being led by the flesh, it's pretty evident. Very clear. And here is the desires of the flesh. It's sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, decision, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Then he ends it with this. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is the work of the flesh. And I want to take a moment and I want to pause right here. Because maybe you are sitting in church, a family member drug you here because you were with them for Thanksgiving. Or you're just in this tension point. You're not living for God or you've backslid. And as I read this list, you immediately shut down. 
You immediately begin to feel convicted, and you said, you know what? I don't belong here. You know what? I can't do this. Why am I even in this church? And this is where I want to pause and say, guess what? There was a time in my life where I was bound by sin, but the same God who's done a work in my life, the same God that has set me free will do it for you. And you don't have to hold your head down because he wants to meet you right where you are and transform you into the person that he's called you to be. There is freedom in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that, when, that he is faithful and just to forgive us when we repent. And repent just means to turn, that we were going this way with our lives, but now we are following Jesus. So don't want in that moment for you to just feel so down, but it is meaningful for us to actually be aware of where we are at and the things that are in our life because the worst deception is self-deception. And then the author of Hebrews, he continually goes on, or excuse me, in Galatians, and he continually goes on in, in Galatians 5.22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is just patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is the work of the Spirit in our God, in our lives. And it's meaningful to mention that the fruit of the Spirit is not just like a one and done. Like, oh, on Monday, I'm going to take joy with me. On Tuesday, I'm going to take some peace. On Wednesday, oh my gosh, my kids are driving me insane. I'm going to need patience. No, but it is an all-inclusive package that should be evident in your life and my life if we are followers of Jesus. So we come to this place of how do we know if the spirit or the flesh is leading? And here's the way that we know. By examining our fruit, by by examining our actions, by examining the way that we are behaving, that will ultimately tell us what our fruit is, what we are being led by, because the fruit does not lie. I mean, come on, when I look at my life, do I see myself being jealous because someone got a raise or upset because God is working in in their life. God, I've been worshiping here. Do I see myself getting upset with a family member that just drives me insane, or do I see myself being joyful? Joyful that God paid a price for me. Joyful that they got the promotion. Oh, come on. Do I see patience in my life? Probably not on I-4, I'm going to be honest with you. Don't ask my wife. If you ain't first, you're last. And I definitely drive like that sometimes. Do I see patience in my life? Patience with other people. Patience with my wife. Patience with myself. Or am I just impatient? Getting frustrated, getting angered, giving up, quitting. Do I see my life filled with anxiety? I mean, if you turn on the news, it doesn't take a lot to get me anxiety. Am I just all over the place, led by my anxiety to where my anxiety becomes the thing that leads my life instead of God? Do I see more of the fruit of anxiety or peace that passes all understanding, knowing that God is in control? And this is how we tell what we are being led by, the fruit of our lives and what it is producing. So how do we cultivate or grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? And the way that we cultivate and grow the Spirit in our lives is by abiding. I mean, come on, I could have, and I I didn't even know this was an orange tree until Pastor Brent did it week one, so I'm just going to call it an orange tree. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But if I had a seed for this orange tree and I just threw it on the ground 
It's not going to grow. The reason the orange tree is growing because it is abiding in good soil. As it abides in that and it has what it needs to grow, it begins to sprout and then shows fruit. For you and I who are followers of Jesus, we, too, we are to abide in the things of God. We are to be planted in church. We are to have community. We are to have people in our life. We are to be in the word of God. We are to be in prayer. And listen, we don't have a works-based gospel. The thing is, is as we get around God, as we spend time with him, as we get in his presence, what begins to flow out of us is the fruit of the Spirit. So we develop it by abiding and remaining in him. And as we abide and remain in him, our roots grow down and our fruit is produced. And Galatians 5.25 puts it like this way. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. To be led by it, to move with it in our lives. And today as I close out this series, we are going to look at faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which are all key if we want to cultivate, abide, and remain in the Spirit. So we are taking notes first is faithfulness. So I'll never forget, like four years ago, I went with my brother Isaac, who was here last service, and we went to visit my brother who was stationed in Tucson, Arizona. And it's so cool. I mean, I never have seen mountains at this point. I know Florida, which is flat, flat, hot, rain, hot, flat. Okay, that's all I know. I'm born and raised in Florida. So, you know, we're like, we're going to take a bro trip. We're going to go see him. We haven't seen him in a while. And so we get on the plane and we go. And as we're flying into Tucson, I'm just like mesmerized by all the mountains that I see. And my, my brother Daniel picks us up. And we spend a few days there, you know, just having an amazing time. I love my brothers. They're, they're don't tell them I said this, they're, they're cool. And I, and I look up to them. But we're there and we're just hanging out. And by the end of our trip, my brother Daniel, he's like asking us, what do you guys want to do before you leave? You know, I want to make sure that you have a good trip. Is there anything that you want to do before you leave? We can go to Dave and Buster's Top Golf. Like, he's naming all these things. But to be honest with you, since the moment I landed, I was like, I got to get on a mountain. So I, I you know, interject and I'm like, hey, Dan, um, could we go hiking on a mountain? Now, this is where I realized that I messed up, okay? So my oldest brother's in special forces. Like, he's crazy. done, like, over 400 combat missions. Like, he is, like, he is insane. And he gets this crazy spark in his eyes. Like, yes, we are going to go hiking. We're going to charge, charge that mountain at 600 hours. I don't even know what it is. I just knew that it was 6 a.m. Like, bro, is the mountain even awake at this time? <laughs> I know Jesus isn't. Like 6 a.m., he's like, yes, we're charging that mountain, okay? I'm like, okay. I got myself in over my head. Like Isaac like, looks at me, my other brother's like, oh, I mean, why would you do that? We could be at Dave and Buster's. <laughs> You're right. So we wake up, my alarm goes off, and I have like five cups of coffee just to function. And uh, that was my first indication that I probably wouldn't like hiking. My second was is I walk outside and it is 42 degrees. You know, it's the desert, so it's hot, it's cold. And it felt like Elsa just blew in my face. And I'm like, I don't do cold. <laughs> If it's, if it's under 70, I got in a jacket. Any, anybody else? That's, that's me. And so we get in the truck, and, and we stop at a gas station on the way, and, and we get the essentials for hiking, which is sunflower seeds, beef jerky, and water. Come on. <laughs> that's all you need. And we begin going to where we're going to hike, and, you know, we're listening to super spiritual music, Tom Petty getting pumped up. <laughs> we finally get there and put the, the truck in park, and we get out. And my brother Dan, he's like, that's the trail that we're going to climb. 
Now, just want to be honest with you. When I said hiking, I was thinking more of like a flat surface that's kind of elevated up. I could send a picture to my wife and be like, hey, girl, look what I climbed, you know? <laughs> um, like something like that. Enjoy the scenery. Get a nice Instagram reel video. But this trail that my brother Daniel had us on was straight up zigzagging all around. It was like someone took a treadmill and put it on 11. And he's like, that's what we're going to do. There's like a rattlesnake right at the front of it. I'm like, he's like, we'll be good. I'm like, okay. So we begin on this trail. And listen, it was absolutely terrible. I can't breathe because of the altitude that I'm on. I'm like oddly cold, but yet hot at the same time. I'm sweating. I had a rock in my boot for over a mile. And we're going and we're going and it seems like we're making no progress because it's not just a straight cut path, it's all over. It's winding and going along with the mountain and it seems like we're making zero progress whatsoever. And to be honest with you, I wanted to quit, but I knew that if I did, they would make fun of me for the rest of my life. (laughs) So I just had to take it step by step and finally, after a couple of terrible hours, we make it to the top. And we, we, we eat some beef jerky, we, we pose for some photos, and then we begin the descent down from this mountain. And I can remember, it was like, oh my gosh, why did I get myself into it? But yet I was so thankful when we reached the top. And here's what this climb taught me. It's not about reaching the destination, it's about being faithful in the climb and in the journey. That's what it is about. And faithfulness in a practical sense looks like being consistent and loyal to Jesus in our everyday lives. It looks like putting one foot in front of the other when you get that diagnosis that you don't like. It looks like putting one foot in front of the other when your kids are driving you insane. It looks like putting that one foot in front of the other where you don't know what's going on. It looks like putting one foot in front of the other in the trial, in the temptation, in the storm, in the good times, trusting that if God called you to it, that he will see you through it and he will empower you. That he who started a work and you will see it through to completion. But he didn't just call you to be faithful to follow him. But he called you to be faithful in what he asked you to do. And in the church, I've heard this this quote that has gone around. I mean, my parents are pastors for 40 years. Literally, I did church Monday through Sunday. I may have even been conceived in the church. (laughs) Like, the church was my life, and I've I've heard just about everything, seen about everything. and, And there's this quote that was going around, and people were like, God won't call you to something that is bigger than yourself. God won't call you to something that you can't handle. God won't call you to something that you can't carry on your own. I got to tell you, I disagree with that because the call to follow Jesus, the call of Christianity is already so much bigger than me and already so much bigger than you. I can't do it by myself. It's only through the cross and the price that he paid and the grace that he has in me and in you that I'm ever able to follow Jesus. So side note, he's going to call you to something that's bigger than yourself, but what I've realized is, is that he won't call you to something that is bigger than himself. There's nothing that is bigger than him. For some of you, he's asked you to be faithful in the marketplace, to be out there and say, you know what? I'm not being contained inside these four walls. I'm going to meet people and show them what Jesus looks like out there. 
For some of you, you have children and you are running them to school and you are homeschooling them and it is a lot and it is tough and it is difficult, but you are demonstrating them what it looks like to follow Jesus. You are called to be faithful in that. For some of you, you are the only one in your family who follows Jesus and you may get made fun of. They may not understand you, but he placed you there to be a light and you are called to be faithful in it. He's called you to be faithful. Maybe it's being on a serve team. Maybe it's being out in the community, feeding the homeless. I don't know what he's called you to, but whatever he has called you to, he has called you to be faithful. To be faithful. And to be honest and transparent with you, since I became a follower of Jesus, I failed him many times. I've fallen flat on my face and the pursuit to do what he's asked me to do. I've let people down. I've hurt people. I, I've got it wrong. But just because I have failed him does not mean that I quit. In the moments when I have failed him, can I just be honest with you? In the moments that I have failed him, I have learned more about the nature of God than any other time in my life because I have far more weaknesses than I ever do strengths. And in the moments that I have made a mess, the moments that I have failed him, it has been moments like that to where I get to call on him and invite him into my mess. And when I invite him into my mess, he begins to mature me, he begins to convict me where I need it, and he begins to rebuild me back up to the place that he wants me to be anyway. It's through my weaknesses that he has grown me. Doesn't mean that I quit when I fail him. And that's oftentimes what we do in church is we come in and, God, I better be faithful. And then we fail and we uproot ourselves. Oh, the pastor didn't like what I said or I didn't like what he said. So we put our roots here and we put our roots there and we put our roots there. But yet we don't see any fruit and we wonder why we are not growing. He's called you to be faithful. In Galatians 6, 9, it says it this way. It says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Listen, I know that coworker annoys you. Let us not grow weary of doing good. I know that that boss is getting under your skin. Let us not grow weary of doing good. I know that someone made fun of you for your faith. Let us not grow weary of doing good. I know that you just came to church and Jesus and you're battling with your temptations trying to figure it out. Do not get weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We are called to remain faithful. Are you cultivating faithfulness? And the way that we cultivate faithfulness is by abiding and remaining in Jesus, which leads me to gentleness. And a lot of us in this room, we hate this word because in our society to seem meek or weak is frowned upon. You know, we want to we be mighty. We want to be strong. We want to be able to, to handle everything. You know, I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, I don't even like to lose in Madden, which is a video game. <laughs> And Kieran's on the front row, and really, I don't lose that often, especially when I play Pastor Kieran. (laughs) Run up the score on him. Kidding, kind (laughs) of. But we don't want to seem like we're going to lose or we surrender. And we view gentleness as this doormat mentality. It's where if I'm gentle, I just got to let everybody step on me. If I'm gentle, I just can't have a backbone. I just got to be weak and meek. No, no, no. Here's what gentleness is, and here's what I've learned it to be, is that gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is strength contained. 
Gentleness is strength contained and strength surrendered. And I can think of no better example than in John chapter 8. And this is where Jesus caught the woman in the act of adultery, or where they caught and they brought him to Jesus. I'm going to paraphrase the story for, the, for time, but here's what we see is that Jesus is in the synagogue and he is teaching and literally there's people around him because they wanted to hear him teach about the, the scriptures. And, and he has all this crowd. And as he's teaching them, the religious leaders, they barge in with this lady who had just been caught in the act of adultery. And if you don't know what that is, that means that she was having sex with someone else who was not her husband. And they bring her in and they kind of throw her at the feet of Jesus in front of everybody. I mean, could you imagine the humiliation could you imagine the shame or their embarrassment? I mean, she just got caught in one of the worst moments of her life, and yet they put her on a public display in front of everybody, and they throw her in front of Jesus, and this is what they say to him. They say, now the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman who was caught in the act to death. But what do you say, Jesus? What do you say? And notice, they were not asking Jesus because they wanted an honest response for him. They wanted to entrap him so they could kill him. And it says that Jesus bent down and he began to write in the dust and in the sand. How cool is that? Like Jesus didn't even respond to them immediately and the scriptures say that they kept going on demanding an answer. We don't know how long time went. Maybe it was five minutes, maybe it was two, maybe it was, maybe it was 30 seconds, but he's just writing in the sand and they're demanding, Jesus, give me an answer. And here's what he says in John chapter 8. He says, all right, that's what you want to do. All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone at her. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone at her. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. Listen to this, beginning with the oldest. And I like to imagine that maybe the older ones in the crowd were just so aware of how many times that they had failed God, and maybe the younger ones were a little bit more prideful. But they slipped away, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? I mean, did even one of them throw a rock at you? Did even one of them condemn you? And she says, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Let's be honest. There was only one person who could have thrown a rock at that lady. And it was Jesus. I mean, Jesus lived the sinless life. I mean, Jesus was the only one who could have answered that call. And what he could have done in that moment is found the biggest rock, and he could have crushed her. He could have made an example out of her in front of everybody. I mean, after all, she was caught in sin. She was caught in a moment. And he could have said, hey, if you step out of line, this is what happens to you. But we don't see him do that. We see him do the opposite. I mean, Jesus didn't just excuse her sin. Hear me. He didn't just excuse it or treat it lightly. Rather, he expected a change of the heart and repentance. And in turn, he presented the woman with an opportunity to begin a new life in him. him go and sin no more. He didn't tear her down. He called her to a new standard of living, to follow him, and that is through him. And my question to us, church, is are we gentle like 
Jesus? Or are we people like the religious leaders that we're just going to grab people, we're just going to point at everybody else's sins and flaws and mistakes, and we're going to tear you down? No, 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 no. I can tell you this. At Arise, we have a core value, and one of our core values is this, is that we value people. God's grace is, is for everyone and not beyond anyone. So at Arise, we are going to be gentle people. At Arise, we are going to give people the benefit of the doubt. At Arise, you can walk in here and may not know much about Jesus, but you can have have a seat with us, and we're going to present it in grace and in truth and in love. That is the people that we are going to be at Arise when we're in our communities, when we're with our families. Not people who just tear down everybody, but people who are gentle. I mean, let's be honest. In all my failures and all your failures, how gentle and kind has God been to you? How gentle and kind has he been to me? Because the reality of the story is, is that all of us are the woman who was caught in adultery. All of us have been caught up in sin, but yet we see Jesus give us a way of forgiveness through him. And by abiding in Jesus is how we cultivate gentleness. And in conclusion, the keys can join me. We've covered faithfulness and gentleness, which leads me to the last one, which is self-control. Self-control. Who is the most difficult person for you to lead? Now, wives, don't say your husband. I know he's right by you. Just look away. My wife's running, like, the PowerPoint. She's looking at me right now. I know. Who's the most difficult person for you to lead? Yourself. What I've learned in my 27 years of living is that I am the most difficult person for me to lead, and I am my biggest enemy. But it's kind of ironic because although I understand that I am the problem, and I understand that I'm the common denominator in my life, and where I'm at is because of the decisions I've made, there are times where I listen to my feelings and I listen to my voice and I begin to be led by that as if I'm not the one who got myself here in the first place. And in today's time in culture and society, we're in this time where people say that your feelings are truth. Just follow your feelings. Do what you think, and for you to not follow your feelings or what you think is a disservice to yourself. And I'm here to tell you, that is not true at all. It's not. I mean, feelings cannot be the compass which leads our life because we will be all over. Right. It gives me the imagery from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. If you haven't seen it, that's okay. I'll explain it. But Captain Jack Sparrow, he has this magical compass that will point in the way of what he wants. And there's a scene in the movie where he opens the compass and he's trying to see where he wants to go. And literally it's like all over. And he's like, the joke in that is, is that his heart was all over the place and he didn't really know what he wanted. So that compass was not qualified to lead him. And that's how it is when we are led by our feelings. We are up, we are down, we are in between, we are all over the place. But what we need is a stronger foundation, which is the Holy Spirit, which is the Word of God to lead our lives. And it's truth and it's unchanging truth. And feelings can't be the compass that lead our life. 
And here's the conclusion that I had for self-control. It's not in venting on Facebook. For the love of God, please stop that. <laughs> it's not in another TED Talk. All those, those are cool and can be insightful. It's not in another self-help book. The way to have self-control is through death. Maybe you're like, wow, I came, so happy I came to church. <laughs> really encouraging word. Let me unpack what I mean. We see that in Luke 9.23, this is Jesus speaking, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, daily and follow me. Deny themselves, pick up the cross daily and follow me. Pick up your cross. Like in our society, in our culture, the cross is actually oftentimes depicted as a sign of beauty. But the reality of the cross is that it was a torture tool used by Romans to murder criminals. The reason there's any beauty in the cross today is because of the price that Jesus paid. But Jesus is telling you and I, if we want to be his disciples, which just means followers, to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him daily. What is he saying here? Jesus is saying, die to yourself, die to your flesh, die to your desires, die to your will, and begin to follow what I have for your life. The answer is not found in yourself. It's found in him. And my dad used to always say this to me growing up, and he'd say, Johnny, it's easy to be a Christian, but it's hard to die. And don't tell him I said this, but he's right. It's hard to die. It's hard to put our flesh to death. In our life, do we have boundaries, making sure that we stay inside the parameters that God has set for us? Or are we like my dog, Reese, Stepping outside of the parameters, ignoring the conviction, and finding ourselves in a place that we never thought that we would be, which ultimately we know leads to death. We cannot be led by the spirit and the flesh. Will you stand with me? My question for us today is, what are you cultivating in your life? What am I cultivating in my life? Am I cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, or am I cultivating the flesh? What would people who got close to me, what would they say? Would they say, I see the fruit of the Spirit, or would they say that they see the flesh. Me in our life, are we seeing love? Are we seeing joy? Are we seeing peace? Are we seeing patience? Are we seeing kindness? Are we seeing goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Or are we seeing the opposite of that? Are we abiding in Jesus? Are we remaining in his house? Are we remaining in his word? creating time for him to speak into our lives, or are we remaining in CNN and Fox News and what our kids have to say and what culture has to say? 
What are we abiding in? Because the reality is, is that cultivation leads to transformation and the choice of what you cultivate is yours. And what you cultivate in your life is going to grow and that can be the spirit of God or it can be your flesh. And maybe today you're in here and you saw the parameters that God put in your life as something that was holding you back. And you thought that true freedom was found outside of it. And maybe you've been a believer and you've found yourself backsliding or maybe you're new in here and you don't even really know about this Jesus thing, but you would say, yeah, I'm stepping outside of the things that God wants me to do. And at first, maybe it appeared as freedom because the Bible even says that sin is fun for a season. But as you stepped out, you are finding that you are bound by sin and ended up in places that you never thought that you would be in and experiencing a disappointing reality of your own way. Or maybe you're like the woman who is caught in the act of adultery. You are going through it. You are in the places that you should not be. And the enemy is just pointing it out and saying, you'll never get to Jesus. But yet Jesus is there saying, go and sin no more through me. Not condemning you, but calling you to the place that he wants you to be in your life. And today, I don't know where you're at, but I want us to close our eyes in this moment and just examine our lives to examine the fruit that is in our life, to examine where we are at. And today there is freedom through Christ Jesus. So if you would say, Johnny, you know what? I am outside of the parameters. Johnny, I am not living for God right now. Or I've been a saint and following him, but I see myself drifting back and giving into the flesh more and more and more. If that's you today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, to pick up your cross, to deny yourself and to follow him, today you have that opportunity. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing? If you were moved by this message, we would love to hear your testimony. Please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged and inspired. We'll see you next time.